can't rank if ranking is without you. I can't rank. I can't rank Beatles songs. Ooh, that one cut deep. Goes deep to the heart. Ugh, goodness. The tears. I think I'm crying over here. I feel like that's true because now I don't want to do the show if you're not available. I feel like if someone's like, hey, can you can we do a show next Tuesday? And you were like, I can't do it. I'd be like, no. If you were sick, no. We'll have to reschedule. Oh, I must have sweet. my co-host. Oh, that's sweet. Thanks. Ugh, you're really roping me into this, aren't you? Oh, you're stuck for the long haul. <laughs> the long haul here on Ranking the Beatles. Crap. What's going on, everybody? How's it going? Welcome to Ranking the Beatles, episode 34. I am your foolhardy host, Jonathan. And with me, as always... My lovely co-host, Julia. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> quick on the name drop. Sorry, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I feel like like we should pretend like we're like morning radio DJs, like Jonathan and Julia on the rock. But probably not. That would be. I don't even know how to do that. What are their phrases? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Coming at you from New Orleans. Get the let out. Get- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> or there's like the the one radio's dead. It's a podcast. The, oh, it's there's podcast the one only. here that's like there will never be another, another Beatles. Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Howdy, everybody. How's it going? Hopefully, you've all had a wonderful week. Uh, hopefully, things are good in your neck of the woods. Things are pretty good here this week. I'm. Would you uh, say? Yeah, I'm. I'm actually super proud of our little baby pod. Yeah, it is growing up right before our very eyes. We crossed over. 11,000 listens yeah. this week, That's which amazing. is amazing. I'm surprised it's more than like 40. Right? <laughs> There's like hundreds of people listening every week. Like I'm surprised several it's not hundreds. like 10 people listening. Su- like Kyle <laughs> right? and Murray are two top listeners. <laughs> like, uh, no, this has really been uh, cool to watch this grow. Um, and uh, it's been a whole lot of fun so far. So welcome, new listeners, if you're new. Welcome returning listeners, if you are a returning listener. And thanks for tuning in. Yeah. We are glad that you are somewhat enjoying our little silly podcast. That is true. Um, and if you are enjoying it, uh, we do get asked from time to time uh, if we ever think about starting like a, a Patreon. Is that how you, is it Patreon, Patreon, however you say it? I've only ever, like you said, I've only seen it written and I've only heard it uh, spoken by British musicians. Uh, oh. Who have said Patreon, mm. but I feel like that's because they're speaking the King's English and they're mm. uh, maybe a touch classier than than I. Just a touch. Just a scotch. Mm. Um, but uh, we really don't have anything to put on a Patreon. Like, I, there's no extra like bonus content um, that we can offer to make that worth your while. I mean, this pod is enough. It's pretty. I mean, we're giving y'all <laughs> a, f- a, f- a five star meal for a two star price. Let's be quite honest. Um, but no, if you are interested in, uh, dropping a coin in the, uh, tip bucket, you can go to anchor.fm slash ranking the Beatles. And there's a little button there that says, uh, support, and you can click that and you can make, um, a contribution. You can make a monthly contribution, um, anything from a dollar to 50 cents to, 
I assume, hundreds of dollars should you feel generous and stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we do have a few uh, monthly contributors who have helped us upgrade this podcast. It enabled us to get uh, this wonderful new, new mic uh, that Julia is using. Hello. That's why she sounds <laughs> so nice. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. So that's been amazing. Um, but also, like, we're not doing this with any intention of making money. Uh, we're just doing this because um, I was really bored and... Uh, I got suckered into and it. And I'm super persuasive. So <laughs> uh, we're just here to have fun. But should you feel the urge to tip, uh, we would graciously accept it. Because um, we I do spend a good bit of time editing these episodes. And uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the songs mm-hmm. and trying to figure out uh, what the hell we're doing with this thing. And trying to rustle up uh, guests for the show. So that would be cool if you're into it. If not, no big. Speaking of guests, we have a pretty great one today. Y'all... Super excited about today's show. You should be too. Our guest today wears a ton of different hats. Uh, Our guest today is a musician, a songwriter, a music journalist, a newspaper editor. He's appeared in indie films. He's taught songwriting courses at University of Washington. He's hosted a radio show on KEXP. He had a hand in starting the Barsic Records label that's been home to many in Northwestern indie bands. Uh, And he wrote a book for the 33 and a Third series about Joni Mitchell's Court and Spark. Uh, Now, perhaps he's best known as the singer and songwriter behind the band Harvey Danger, whose song Flagpole Sitta has gone on to become one of the most enduring hits of the late 1990s. Odds are, right now, it's playing somewhere on a 90s playlist. Someone's doing karaoke to it. Uh, A cover band is playing it. Uh, Someone's going, fuck, this song is so good. Uh, Because it is. And the rest of their catalog, criminally underappreciated. Highly recommend you dive into it. Uh, since that band's breakup in 2009, he's released several solo albums, appeared on countless others, including albums by Def Cab for Cutie, The Decemberists, Not a Surf, a bunch of others. Uh, his most recent album came out in 2019, a long gestating album of Harry Nilsson covers uh, entitled Nelson Sings Nilsson, and y'all, it is great. I am slapping my leg for emphasis because it's that good of an album. It is very good. We're big Nilsson fans in this house. Um, big Harvey Danger fans, and when I stumbled upon this record, it was just, oh, it got played a lot. So, highly recommended you check it out if you like good quality things. And you're here, so you should. Uh, So without further ado, folks, please welcome to the show, the one and only Mr. Sean Nelson. Sean, how are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? We're wonderful. Thank you for uh, for joining us. How are things in Nashville? You, You moved there fairly recently? From what I gather, um, I moved. Well, I moved back here, so uh, I guess we came in twenty. So it's all coming up on three years. I guess two and a half years ago. Um, but my family moved here in nineteen eighty-eight. So um, I've I've always had at least part of one foot mm-hmm. uh, in in Nashville. And you, so you Nashville to Seattle, and you stayed in Seattle yeah. the whole time, and now you're back in Nashville. What brought you back to Nashville? Family? Um, family things, really. Um, it was, you know, before the pandemic was happening, obviously, but um, my parents were both, you know, they're getting on in years and they had some health issues and they they needed my actual help. But um, but it was also like, oh, I guess I should I guess I should just go and be, you know, a member of the family, yeah. uh, <laughs> which I hadn't really I hadn't really done in about 22 or three years. Yeah. Um, and so. 
Um, and you know, it's been okay. Nice. And you have siblings as well. Yeah. I have, um, two younger brothers here, uh, and then one older brother in Los Angeles. Nice. Very cool. I love Nashville. We've had some Mm -hmm. really great times visiting friends in Nashville and I actually really wanted to go back last year, but you know, then we couldn't travel. So yeah. <laughs> right. it's definitely right. high at the top of the list for when we're safely able to travel again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, as, as a musician, and I know you wear a, a ton of hats and I want to get into all that. Um, but having no real ability to have an outlet right now, like how has the last year been for you in that kind of creative sense of, you know, of having nothing to do. Well, <laughs> it's funny, you know, I, I've always had a fantasy of having no um, obligations uh-huh. and just being able to just hole up. And, you know, of course I would finish reading every novel that I've ever wanted to read and maybe write a few and, um, and, you know, obviously write all the greatest songs that I've ever done and all of that. But uh, in fact, I haven't, done anything like that i have made (laughs) terrible use of the lockdown um unless um watching every episode of law and order svu counts as making good use of it because i have done that um but uh yeah i've just been I, i mean i already was feeling a little sort of um circumspect about the world of playing music as a 900 year old person and like i and nashville is a totally different um scene uh in every sense uh than i was accustomed to in seattle it's not to say there's anything wrong with it it's really great but like you know the culture of i don't know what it was like for you but um you know when i um started a band or actually joined a band that was kind of in progress it was like hey come over to our house we're gonna you know play for a couple few hours and you know we'll see what happens Mm -hmm. and that was that and it was always like someone who had a house with a basement and um, and had, you know, a couple guitars lying around and maybe there was a drum kit. But in our case, the first time Harvey Danger ever played together, uh, the drummer who had never played drums before uh, played on his knees using a broken, well, I guess it was a, an intact snare, but on the floor. So it muted the, the actual <laughs> snare. Um, and then a uh, broken uh, ride symbol that was upside down in an old coffee can. And that was the, but it like, wow. it, it absolutely worked um, mm. for what was being, you know, it's not, the rest of the music wasn't that much more <laughs> sophisticated <laughs> than, <laughs> than that. But like that, you know, that was just the sort of the, the, the thing that I came to know and love about Seattle was very much like, Hey, come on over, let's see what happens. And, mm. Here, it's very much like if you say, you know, hey, come on over, let's see what happens, you would get an invoice. Right. From the person. <laughs> and that's, I mean, it's it's valid. It's a totally valid thing when people are trying to make a living. But mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I, I just, having had certain experiences in my life, I'm sort of less uh, interested in doing music to make a living, though making a little money from it is nice. But like, certainly, as a, you know, it's just not um it it seems it seems um it, it, i find it somewhat alienating when it's the number one kind of goal mm-hmm. um and uh and so that's not an indictment of anything it's sure. just the i mean i get why it is that way and it's really you know of course as always it's 
that's capitalism's fault. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but uh, you know, it's, it's just sort of like I would all, part of me would just rather not do it at all mm -hmm. um, than do it like that. But um, I say that every few years anyway, and then I wind up changing my mind because I really love doing it. And um, right when I got to town, I made a record with my friend Shane Tutmark, who was from Seattle also and moved out here a couple well, five, six years before I did. Um, and so I, I finished that and, or we finished it. And um, I don't, I mean, maybe I will release it in quotes one day by putting <laughs> it on the internet. Upload, release. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't feel like, I mean, that is the ultimate, to me, sort of the ultimate, like who gives a shit? Like it doesn't feel super satisfying. Yeah. There's no, but it also, it. yeah. Right. But it does also feel much easier than, mm. you know, than like trying to get a deal of some kind or partner with somebody to, or even to do it yourself, um, uh, you know, to press up a bunch of records. And I don't know, it's it's I'm very easily um, uh, demoralized. Sure. And Same. <laughs> I think I'm sort of in that I'm, I'm in that kind of mode right now, the mm. demoralized mode. It's funny, you know, I just you know, the Facebook uh, memories thing just showed me this thing the other day uh, where it was two years ago that my band had been together for, I guess, nine years at the time. And mm -hmm. we had this manager from LA and we took this trip out to LA uh, to play a showcase for all these people that, you know, was like the moonshot. We were told like this was going to be the thing and went out right. there and, you know, I look at my Facebook post and we had a great time and played what I really think was like the best show we ever played. You know, those moments were great. It was the next few months of realizing that none of it mattered. Uh, right. That really, and then watching that band kind of just collapse under its own, like, expectations. Um, mm -hmm. And what was great, though, and I shouldn't say it's great, um, having a year in which I, the, playing music was not an option when I didn't mm -hmm. want to do it anyway was kind of the best thing that could have happened. Cause it softened that blow of like, you know, our dreams have failed, you know, like that crushing right. weight was just kind of like, well, everyone else who was doing better than me can't do anything more than I can do right now anyway. So yeah. fuck it. Like <laughs> who cares? And I mean, some people have really, you know, I, no one would have chosen it, but like some sure. people have, have really committed to doing like the live streaming shows even every week, like, my friend Robin Hitchcock and his partner Emma Swift, they do one every week. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, you know, they were, I was especially happy that they were in Nashville when I moved here because I didn't really know that many other people and I've worked with him a lot. And he's just such a, you know, he, he's really um, uh, inspiring to me. But they, I mean, they have, I don't know what they're like, how they, I haven't actually asked him, like, if he likes it. Right. Um, lately because it because i just i also sort of feel like it in a way it doesn't matter because he keeps doing it and i i'm sure he would much rather be on a stage doing sure. it mm -hmm. but um you know there are ways and and there are people who are sort of more um i don't know attuned to that sort of relationship like it's as though you know they're playing and singing their songs all the time and if it's on a stage that's great if it's on a can you know computer screen that's great or if it's in a studio whatever whatever wherever they are they're that's what they're going to do it's a vocation and it doesn't you know it they will adapt mm -hmm. and um 
and for me, I just sort of feel like I don't mind. I would I honestly like I would not only rather wait a year or two, but I would rather wait 10 years, although if this is part of 10 years, then when it's over, I'm right. going to be a hundred, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, but, but still like, it, it's just, to me, it's something that I, I, I just want it to be the, the right way for me and yeah. my friends who I get to do it with, because for me, it really actually is about the, the, the joy and the pleasure of yes. doing it because there is no greater joy or pleasure that I've ever experienced. And so anything that diminishes that at all, it's like, uh, it's a, you know, it's a, a mind killer. Sure. Yeah. And the energy exchange between everyone in the room, like the people on the totally. stage and the people in the audience, like you, you can't replace that. You can't do that on a live stream. And, mm -hmm. you know, live streams right. are great for getting you through the next, you know, or the past year and hopefully not too terribly much longer. Um, but I think as soon as it's safe, like people want that energy exchange again. Like they want to be in the rooms. They want to feel the base like in your chest. Mm -hmm. You want to, yeah. you know, like have a drink spilled on you. Like have a. <laughs> and I think it's, and it's hard. Totally. To, it's hard to replace that and to have to manufacture that via a live stream. And then it becomes, you know, music for work's sake. And that's not right. What, like you or I want to do like it. You, you're there because you have to like promote a brand or like you literally just need the money that comes through, you know, right. I, you know, after, you know, my thing fell apart, like I got a full time nine to five job and was like, okay, this is the route I'm ready to go down now. Um, and yeah. I feel very lucky that I've maintained employment and still able to like play music when I want to be creative and when I want to have fun and do that. Like, I've hit that happy medium now. And it's funny because now all of a sudden um, a song that I wrote with some, with a country act last year, like they just cut it in Nashville and they're like, we need to get your publishing set up. And I'm like, Oh God, what's the path of the path of least resistance? Like <laughs> right. please make this right. as little effort for me as possible. Like, totally. Take it and run. Feel free to rip me off. I don't care. <laughs> I truly don't. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's, I mean, it feels sort of hearing you say that, like I, I have been, you know, over the last oh, years, over the last like 22, 23 years, I have been really fortunate to be, um, you know, like the, the thing of not having to have a day job and just being able to support yourself by playing music, making records, or uh, at other times I have worked in um, independent films that are, you know, like incredibly small time, but enough to mm -hmm. kind of be my livelihood. And also because my, you know, my overhead was so low, um, you know, I was able to do that for, I don't know, maybe like more than half of the last 20 couple years whatever and 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 then i there were times when i had to have a day job for like a couple years and then as soon as there was a way i would quit and do mm -hmm. go back to doing the other thing and um i just like i always think about the um leonard cohen said the great thing about the difference between working for pay and being paid for your work and i think that's a really important mm -hmm. idea yeah. and you know, and it, it, part of me doesn't ever begrudge anyone for anything they have to do to get by in life because it's hard and it's yeah. only getting harder and it's never going to not be harder. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 I do have a fundamental respect for like 
jobbing musicians and just like troopers of any you know of any kind but i do have i do have i have had the um you know that that thing that's sort of on the edges of what you were talking about where like you're you're striving to keep your band as a viable business or as a viable career and it leads you into situations where i mean it's not it really isn't about selling out or not selling out that old thing is really like it doesn't really even apply anymore right but there are situations where you find yourself like well they want to give us x number of thousand dollars to like we've had this offer to play this show and you're like there's just no chance that this show is gonna that i'm gonna be happy that we did it Mm -hmm. other than the money and sometimes you do it because you need that money and the times when you sort of close that avenue down um, wind up, I, I, like, it's not like it's less satisfying to, you know, punch the clock in a figurative sense or even a literal one um, and support yourself doing whatever you need, whatever job comes your way, um, because it doesn't make you less of a musician. It doesn't make you less of an artist. Mm-hmm. That that whole That whole sort of area is like, uh, I, I have seen over the because you know I mean my I don't know my center of gravity is still 1995 and so <laughs> um, and so what, you know the the sellout thing is just like a fairly useless framework though I mean I guess there are ways to sell out but um, uh, <laughs> and if you hear of any please go <laughs> with them. To me. But, but, um, as soon as someone's but ready like, to buy, I'm ready to sell it. <laughs> but just the idea that like making a living doing this thing that you you would do it if even if you weren't making a living, as we all know from having done it without making right. anything like a living by doing it. Um, and so I just this that idea is like maybe it's not the only way to to think about it. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it's not the only dream. Um, because in a way, I really think that um, doing it for yourself rather than for a living is maybe a little bit more kind of functional. Yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely keeps you, I think, more mentally stable. You know, I definitely feel yeah. less on the verge of constantly collapsing than I did three years ago. Well, and also sure. like having your living through music, like making your living through music also comes with its own challenges. Like there for was sure. a time where you were a full-time musician like you were on tour you had a direct deposit like he was like a touring and that came with its own set of problems like nothing is perfect like you just have to figure out your way whatever's best for you and go for it and then sometimes you have to reroute like it's just it's life well i'm i'm glad to hear that you've you know found yourself in a in a happy you know a happy land for now do you mind if i ask what what it is that you're doing uh, pr- to bring home the bills these days? Um, well, I, <laughs> I work at the uh, family whiskey distillery. Um, oh, that's so, fantastic. I mean, I, I lucked into a pretty sweet job, um, but, uh, but it is still a job, and I don't, it's hard to say exactly what I do other than sort of I do a lot of different stuff that mm-hmm. is not uh, concerned with actually making or uh, directly selling the whiskey that we make. My my younger brothers um, started the the 
company up uh, about, mm, I guess about 13, 14 years ago. Um, but in fact, the, they, the reason they did is because they discovered this long forgotten bit of family lore that in fact, our great, great, great grandfather um, having come to America as a like 15 year old with literally nothing but the clothes on his back um, wound up starting this distillery and it was it was like fantastically successful wow. in you know between 1860 and 1909 when huh. prohibition became the law in Tennessee and it's you know until my brother started it up again it had been forgotten not just by the world but by the family like we all knew there was some vague something to do with whiskey but um but nobody kind of knew and they did all this research and they're a lot younger than me they're nine and 11 years younger than me so i really think like i mean they are grown men and they're doing all this impressive stuff but also i remember when they were babies right. so <laughs> i sort of it's all the more impressive to think of babies doing it but yeah. um but they you know they have really like come into their own and they really you know, love it. And they've devoted their entire selves to doing it. And so part of the thing for me of coming home uh, to help my parents with their, you know, mental health issues uh, was to kind of help them and see if there was something I could do there. And it seems like there is, and it's going, I think it's going pretty well. That's amazing. That's a, what's the uh, distillery called? It's called Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. That is incredible. So, listeners, if you're in the Nashville area, or if it's yeah. available in your it's, local market, is it distributed? It is. It's uh, it is nationwide. Not all of the products, but um, most of what we have is available most places. It's certainly available in New Orleans. Nice. Yeah, we'll have well, to look up and see where. To Ilios we shall go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love it. Well, let's, uh, this is a Beatles podcast, so let's, <laughs> let's hard shift uh, <laughs> and turn the clock back a little bit. Do you want to get us started, my dear? Yeah. Um, how did you first discover, get into the Beatles? Um, I, I just don't remember ever not having had them at the center of my of my consciousness much less i mean including my musical consciousness like they uh, it's some of the first memories i have are of my parents listening to beatles records or my aunt you know taking me on a drive in her little orange uh, volkswagen bug and she had the eight track tape of magical mystery tour and you know like there were just um, it was the like my parents got divorced when I was six and everybody I knew pretty much was splitting up in some way. And it was there was no sense of um, constant constancy, I guess, uh, in in my young life. But the Beatles were sort of this kind of grand unifying uh, force, even in, you know, I was born in. 73 and so they were obviously no longer together but people were still like longing for them to reunite mm -hmm. uh, in this very urgent way um and i can't think of a i can't think of well i mean of course now most of the great old bands have reunited and the ones that haven't people don't want to anymore <laughs> you know but <laughs> i think we've all we've all like been able to relax and not yearn for a smith's reunion for various reasons <laughs> but, but 
you know, and we respect R.A.M. for not wanting to do it either. But I was thinking, you know, it's, I hate to interrupt you. I was thinking that the okay. other day um, we were watching um, Song, Exploder. Song Exploder. Have you ever listened to the podcast uh, Song Exploder? I have. They now do a Netflix series and yeah. they, they did R.A.M. It it's fantastic. And one of the things that I really took to heart from that show was um, Mike Mills was saying towards the end of it when they were discussing how the band, you know, has not played together in, I think, 19 or 20 years. He said, um, we're very much still a band. We just don't make music. And that made like so much sense to me because like the most active text thread on my phone is my band. We talk all day, every day. Oh, my gosh. We just don't make that music (laughs) anymore. I was like, oh, that that's. It's answer. true. Literally all day, every day. They're just like, bup, 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 bup. text away. I mean, it's it's true of bands that don't end in like rancor and, you know, um, you know, recriminations and accusations and fights and stuff that, uh, that you are always a band because it's this for most of us who like really dedicated ourselves to a band at some point in our lives. It's the like that kind of it's like you're, i mean in a way when you have been married to someone and then you get divorced or whatever it's there is still a sense in which that marriage still kind of it's like a shadow government you know like it, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't govern your life and you maybe don't even think about it a lot of the time but when you do it's still like you leave behind this you know like uh, sort of a a mile marker or even an anchor that 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 sort of you're always tethered to it in a way. And mm-hmm. I, I, with R.A.M. most of all, because they actually really get along. Like I have actually, I have had the great pleasure of like being around them um, quite a bit. It's been a few years, but, um, but after they broke up and just the way they interacted with each other was so, I mean, you could just tell that they, no one, it seemed like no one would ever know any one of them as well as the other three guys yeah. and there's i mean that's what you as a fan that's what you want the band to be you know yeah. you don't want it to be a business arrangement and i think that's one of the things that always kind of shown through with the beatles especially even as as acrimonious as their split was um there were always these kind of moments of togetherness where and maybe you only see pictures after the fact uh, you know, but you can see that very real love and affection and, you know, kinship that those relationships, I think, you know, spur. Yeah, totally. I mean, they all have, I mean, but, you know, it's also the case that when you've been in a band for any length of time, you also like, there's, there's really a, a way in which you, you hate each other in a very <laughs> kind of particular way that mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you, it doesn't preclude love it doesn't block out love but right. i think the that l- collective love kind of throws a, a pretty large lasso around the, <laughs> um, the various emotions and so like it's no secret that george just hated paul but uh, i refuse to believe that he didn't also love him exactly yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's and that's one that i always think of especially in terms of uh of george's passing when Paul offers him, you know, come to my place in Los Angeles, no one will know that you're here. Uh, you know, that's, you know, and the, the, his retelling of like their conversations on those last few days are very, very, uh, they're very emotional. They're very hard to listen to because it's, you know, a, 
a relationship that's really hard to understand if you don't have something like that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is a rare, it's a rare thing. And I, I mean, I, uh, you know, the guys in Harvey danger and I, we all lived together for like four years, um, while we were kind of getting it together. And some of that was just cause rent was cheap and we all, you know, three of us needed a place and there, then the other one of us had a place available all of a sudden. So it was that, but also, you know, we practiced in the basement and we would hang out all day and night. Like it was just, um, you know, formative in mm. every way, like formative musically, because we would listen to all the same records, but also formative emotionally, um, both in terms of what we gave each other in terms of, you know, feeling and, and, and what we didn't, you know, what we withheld. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, it was like, I mean, band, band stuff in general. The thing to me of bands is that it's the perpetual tension between the collective identity, which is necessary, and the individual identities of the people who go into that collective, which are also totally necessary, mm-hmm. and they push and pull against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, in ways that like you can't really understand uh, if you're not if you're not if you haven't experienced something like that and and the beatles are just like the they're they're like the the er text like they're the they are the the original band that mm-hmm. kind of i mean i don't know if it's still that way i don't know if there still are rock and roll bands like cuz cuz i don't really understand what going on in the culture nowadays but um (laughs) but like we would talk and listen to and think about and like imagine and speculate and like about the beatles all the time Mm -hmm. and any time we did we just couldn't stop you know like there i don't understand how the most photographed the most famous the most played band of all time really could remain so mystifying and and so and still like have that allure and mystique it's still true today i can it's my favorite subject yeah (laughs) when when you met your your other bandmates in harvey danger how soon into that into meeting each other and getting to know each other, did you realize you were all like, were, were you all huge Beatle fans? Was it kind of like a, that shared thing of like, like you're saying, like we're all into this and. You know. um, well, they, I mean, the, no, that I, mean, I was, and like everyone who I guess was born in the West in the last <laughs> 50 years, they obviously had some association because they're it's an inescapable, but they didn't, you know, two of them, I guess, didn't really have, they just were like, oh, right, the Beatles that like, you know, you might say, oh, yeah, uh, architecture, you know, I don't really, (laughs) I I know it's there, I don't necessarily have strong feelings about it one way or another. Mm -hmm. But they but, but then there came a point at which everyone, like, everyone became the center around which any, any conversation or any idea we had could sort of you know form and it's what you know, john bryan likes to call it when there's a bunch of people on stage and they don't know what to play 
he says he has the phrase that uh, it's that you know, we, well we're going to have to speak the international language of the Beatles because <laughs> it is like it, it just it just simply is that way. Yeah. Um, and and so after not too long a time, everyone was equally, and in fact, having two people who were sort of not as deeply invested in them meant that you got to be part of them. Up, like learning it and appreciating it, and then you got to pretend that you were their little guide. <laughs> you had a captive um, audience. <laughs> exactly, um, and so and it was also that was right around the time that the Beatles anthology aired on ABC, and mm-hmm. of course we didn't have we did we had a TV like in the corner, but we didn't get any channels, and so I had to like have it taped onto VHS tapes and mailed to me so we could all watch it. <laughs> That's fantastic. What um you know what other bands were you into in your in your formative years? What's the rest of that genetic makeup look like for you? As a as a youngster, yeah. Um, I had um pretty like unformed tastes for most of my you know preteen years. Um, not necessarily. Well, I mean, I guess a lot of whatever was on the radio. Um. I mean, I liked music a lot, but I didn't ever have the sense of um, like what the what the right thing to like was, or what the like. I didn't have any sense of what coolness was for, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that in any sort of way to suggest that it isn't meaningful in some way. But it's like, I mean, my first concert was Men at Work um, at the Greek Theater in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, that's not true. The first one I went to was the Us Festival, which was this three-day uh, extravaganza um, that apparently lost a lot of, like, it bankrupt the guy who put it on. But yes. it was like the day I went, it was the lineup was this was 1983, and it was um, Little Steven from the E Street Band. It's his his band, Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul, and the Divinals and berlin and quarter flash and and then u2 on what i think might have been their first american tour maybe that's a second one um and uh god stevie nicks and david bowie was the headliner oh the pretenders also um so all these like really like a pretty amazing lineup that i did not appreciate at all (laughs) though i was excited for david bowie because i knew who he was but david bowie was maybe the first you know because let's dance was a such a massive hit when I was, you know, the age that you can kind of start relating to what you hear on the radio. Maybe I was, you know, nine or 10. Um, but then, yeah, like men at work and Duran Duran, I liked a lot and Adam Ant I liked yeah. a lot, but only cause they were on the radio and MTV. Um, and it wasn't until, um, late in high school that I kind of got really into, um, the you know slightly more acceptable palette of things for uh, a self-styled teenager into music like i mean rm and mm-hmm. all of the kind of satellite bands that were you know like swept up in their in their um wake like i don't know let's active and guadalcanal diary and stuff like that but the big one for me was definitely the smiths and morrissey and that was like oh look somebody made all these records just for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, 
and that was definitely like I, I really once I kind of got into them I was like it was the most important it's a, it rapidly became the most important thing mm-hmm I love a, a teenage music discovery that just like puts you in your feelings. Like, yeah, yeah like you, it's just like it clicks with you. Like we were watching that song Exploder and there was a, an episode on um, uh, Nine Inch Nails, Hurt. And mm-hmm. of course I, of course I was into them before Hurt. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was into them, but it was just like, just like watching like videos and stuff from the, you know, the early Nine Inch Nails days. I was like, oh, my little, you know, my little like angsty teen heart is just. <laughs> and he like, Jonathan yeah. totally missed that whole like grunge angsty teen phase. Like he was all into the Beatles and like BB King at that point. Mm-hmm. So he just like totally right. skipped it. But I was like, nope, these were my people. <laughs> Actually, my first concert was Nine Inch Nails. Like these. That oh, was look at like... that. See? <laughs> There you go. I mean, my first concert that I went to by choice. Let's <laughs> clarify. Because I was drugged to some really bad shit by my parents. Right. <laughs> before that. But I'd, I'd like to hear more about that. <laughs> right. Let's hear about the Lee Greenwood 87 tour. It was actually a Kenny G. <laughs> yes. Nice. Kenny G. Yep. I have no Fantastic. idea why. They were just like, yeah, we're going to see Kenny G. And I was like, mm. do I have to? And they were like, yep. And I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. So. Yeah, my, my parents would never have gone to see any live music under any circumstances. <laughs> really? That's yeah. interesting. Was, was they it didn't just not like their thing? Them. Not at all. No, nothing about it was their thing. They didn't like. They didn't like going anywhere after a certain point. And <laughs> they would, you know, they would definitely like say they liked music. And mm. I mean, my mom was when uh, when I was younger, when she was younger, um, she definitely I watched her have like really strong responses to music on the radio. And for a while, she played music it like intentionally, like putting on records or CDs. I remember her going I remember going with her to the record store that was not too far from our house in um in the valley in la and she bought wings album london town Mm. when it was brand new Mm -hmm. that's a really strong memory for some reason though i don't think she especially liked them but she just you know she liked what she'd heard of it and she bought it and it was you know in a way it was you know like a lot of their 70s solo beatles 70s records it was like buying London town was basically like voting for the Beatles to get back together. In some way, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Was there, a, a spe- I would, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go, ahead. Go ahead. No, that's all right. Oh, I was going to ask, uh, was there a specific Beatles record that just sunk its teeth into you and really like cemented everything for you? Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I was definitely of the exact right generation for the um the red and blue compilation albums mm-hmm. came out in the early 70s i think they started they, i think they came out in like 1973 which is the year i was born but like the whatever 62 to 60 65 and, and then, then yeah and 70. then 67 to 70 the red one was the early stuff and the blue one was the later stuff those mm-hmm. records were utterly formative um and made it you know, made me think of them as a, you know, like, of course, you didn't really necessarily know what um, 
what album meant. Album was just a thing with a bunch of songs. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was like, I mean, I loved those records. I'd listened to them all the time. I would, a bunch of, there were a bunch of kids in my um, Montessori school um, before, I guess, pre-elementary school. And we would uh, basically at, you know, when it was, they didn't call it recess because it was Montessori, but like when they, you know, at playtime, um, we would go into the room and listen to those Beatles compilations and just listen to them. And, and sometimes, and then sometimes they would, um, two kids would pick up the um, speakers, the kind of big rectangular speakers and sort of pretend to play them as guitars (laughs) and, call themselves john and paul and and it was like that uh, that's in the you know that's many a year after the band was gone Mm -hmm. um and and there was no i mean i guess there might have been some sense of uh you know it's not like a um (laughs) the thing now where parents buy their kids a dead kennedy's onesie or whatever (laughs) and the sense of the sense of imposing your taste on your kids but it's more like your kids are enveloped by your taste, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, and they like it. And I mean, there's no argument against the Beatles. It's, it's like, it's, it's good for you. And so, um, but I, I will like say that, um, and water and air, yeah, <laughs> things that you need to live. <laughs> it's pretty elemental, but, um, but my, my, I grew up in a house for at least my first, few years where my dad was and I really love him but um he was you know like on the on the insufferable pretentious side and he you know his policy basically was that um the Beatles didn't become truly interesting until Rubber Soul Mm -hmm. and the Rubber Soul is where his attention um was you know like he finally stopped resisting the Beatles because you know, it would be like, I don't know, I would imagine that for him, it was like, if you, if all your friends suddenly got really into, I can't even name the right one. I was going to say One Direction, but that's probably 20 years old right. by now. But like <laughs> a band at which young girls in particular scream. And that's mm-hmm. what it, like, that's what they mean. That's what they meant to him. But, um, but you know, a lot of other people recognize that there was something really amazing there but he kind of he was just not prepared to to agree what was he taking seriously before that uh for sure simon and garfunkel but also like folk like proper old folk music and like old pre-electric blues and classical music Mm -hmm. okay um but rubber soul was the one where he finally was like okay this is like this okay. is about as good as this is about as good as, no he definitely was like this is about as good as it gets and this is like this is the real thing and i'm i can't pretend that it isn't anymore yeah. and so somehow i received that message and rubber soul kind of always i always thought of that as a scene and like it's a turning point in the beatles um and it obviously applies to the song we're talking about but um but it's sort of like it's also an example of a you know the the most fascinating thing about the Beatles is that at the peak of their success they decided to make it to, to like work harder right. and to make it and to make the like make themselves be better at what they were doing and um that is not as we've seen that is not the way most 
rock bands, you know, mm-hmm. conduct themselves. Yeah. And it's also, I think, not the way that most labels allow bands to be now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, right. You know, give us what you already gave us. Like, don't make it difficult on us. We want to just sell the same thing again. Um, right. And that's such a that's such a weird, I think, reaction to seeing, you know, well, this sold, you know, an astronomical amount and this did, you know, what what they did is so influential. Why wouldn't you nurture and encourage that same kind of development and growth? Um, and like you said before, like, yeah, capitalism. So that's where. We're yeah. Going. And also, I mean, the people who were nobody like no one saw a Beatles coming like there was no precedent for that. This group, a group that you know, that wrote, they wrote their own music that was already revolutionary. Yeah. And they sort of, you know, I mean, the whole music business exists to steal money from, well, I mean, originally to steal money, the record, the rock and roll record industry exists to sell, steal money from black artists, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, you know, other, other people came along and were, you know, like, they maybe uh, maybe there was some evolution of that um but the whole idea that the band knew better than the 27 guys who were like couldn't ever justify their salaries you know but mm. existed only to tell bands no 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 you don't want to do that you want to do how much is that doggy in the window or whatever um <laughs> That's, uh, you know, that was, it was new and it was like, I don't know, you can, it's still, it still is kind of thrilling that they were, that they, that they quit touring at all is amazing. And Mm -hmm. that when they quit touring, they not only didn't get lazy, they got in in a lot of ways, just like a hundred times more interesting than they had been already, which was frankly pretty interesting. Yeah. So fantastic. Well, let's, uh, you want to hop in and do some ranking and talk about our song for this week? Yeah. Excellent. All right. Coming in this week at number 183 is Drive My Car. So written by Paul and John during a writing session in the fall of 1965, Drive My Car is built as a track born out of a particularly difficult writing session. In multiple interviews throughout the 70s, both John and Paul separately uh, recalled that Paul showed up to John's Kenwood home for a session with the melody and chorus line of, You Can Buy Me Diamond Rings. Now, both he and John realized that that was a pretty weak lyric and one they'd already kind of alluded to similarly in both Can't Buy Me Love and I Feel Fine. Both felt the song idea had some potential and decided to keep working on it. However, they repeatedly found themselves at dead ends lyrically. Paul recalls it as being one of the rare times they thought they may actually end the session with nothing. Um, They agreed to take a break, take a step back for a minute, have a cup of tea and a cigarette. And as with so many things Beatle related, magic just seems to strike at some point. And the idea of baby, you can drive my car appears. 
Uh, from here, they use the lyric as an innuendo, combined with the role reversal of woman as the romantic conqueror, and pen an exciting and humorous track about a would-be star hiring a man to be her chauffeur, despite not actually having a car, uh, but assuring him that uh, she'll have other things for him to do in the meantime. Wink, wink. Uh, so the track is recorded October 13th of 1965 in the first Beatles session to go past midnight, a trend that would become the norm going forward. Uh, the master was completed in four takes, uh, with Paul and George doubling the riff on bass and guitar, a riff George admits is actually pretty much nicked from Otis Redding's version of Respect. Uh, John appears to have sat out the rhythm track, possibly playing tambourine. Uh, some sources confirm, others credited to Ringo, uh, though there are two tambourine tracks appearing in the song. Uh, but he does appear with Paul, vocally providing uh, dual lead vocals. The track is released as the opening song on Rubber Soul in December of 65, except in the U.S., where it debuts in June of 66 on the Capitol album Yesterday and Today. The Beatles never performed the song live, though Paul has included it in his set throughout his solo career, since 1993. So, why do I have Drive My Car at 183? Um, so I'm really glad you're here to talk about this song today, because this, when you raised this as one that you thought was a really kind of important song, I was really excited about that, because I've always been kind of confounded by this song. Um, there's so much about it that's made up of things that I love individually. Uh, it's got mm -hmm. a great guitar part. It's very R&B-influenced. Harmony vocals, the whole track... Uh, all the touchstones of music I love across like all different genres. For some reason, it's just never dug itself into me as a song that I really love. I don't think I hate it. Uh, I, I, I do find the guitar solo a bit shrill and maybe kind of cartoony, but that's just like guitar tone nerd nitpicking. Um, <laughs> I've always enjoyed Paul's solo live albums. And of the six he's put out, three of them open with Drive My Car. And every time it starts, I kind of always find myself going, Ugh. Um, I think the thing I love most about the song is what really bewilders me the most, and that's the intro, which comes in on a weird count, and by the time the band kicks in, it's disorienting, and you don't even realize like you've hit the one yet, and I kind of love that about it. Um, I have a Beatles cover band that I play with, and I've never hit the count in right at the top of the song, ever. I've never done it right. Um, I do think uh, it's a fine example of Paul creating a story in a song, which he's so good at. Uh, and the song does kind of exude that like rubber soul era coolness that I think the whole record gives off. Uh, and it's also the first line uh, in the sand of them kind of saying the beat group thing is over for us. It's a more mature track that I think is just miles away from please, please me or twist and shout. And I think uh, as you've kind of alluded to already, it's a very important milestone from them. Um, so I'm not quite sure why I have it at 183. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited to hear what the two of you have to say about it. So I will open the floor for discussion. Sean, what do you think? I mean, 183 definitely struck me as low <laughs> <laughs> or high, I guess. Like it should, I, my sense is that, you know, I mean, of course, as I'm sure you have found, um, once you start saying that, no, this one is the best. Well, actually, no, I guess that they're all the best. They're all like, the there's best. only, there's only a few that I, that I actively dislike. Um, and they all tend to be, they tend to be Paul numbers, though he is also my favorite Beatle. Um, but you know, you don't, as a wise person once said, you, you don't pick your Beatle, you know, your Beatle <laughs> picks you. But, um, I love that. I think drive my car is, it's it's essential because um, it 
it sort of it frames them at this really interesting moment where they're done like they haven't they haven't actually finished touring but that's sort of like that's where that's where it's headed mm -hmm. um and i mean in a way rubber soul and revolver are they're sort of one thing i mean they're it's two parts obviously and they're very distinctive in lots of ways but like the the whole like transformation um of their whole their whole approach really to, to writing and making uh records is like it it's if you want to say that it kind of reaches a certain flower on um uh sergeant pepper i think i think um drive my car is the first uh the first stop on that you know on, on that path mm -hmm. um because it's in a way it's sort of impersonation like they they clearly had they clearly had a feeling for um you know for essentially black american um r&b and soul music um because they had covered a lot of those songs on their first four records um but this is, I think, I mean, maybe I have this wrong, but like, I think this is the first time they've ever actually tried to properly make a, a piece of music in that idiom. It does sound like stacks. It does sound like the bass line is very much um, the respect bass line. Like it's obviously owes a heavy debt to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lots of bands do that and mm -hmm. some people object and I certainly do not object, but like, it's this sort of transformation of their, you know, like it's not, they don't have to just be John Paul, George and Ringo. They can be whatever this bit, like the band that is on Drive My Car, it, do, it really doesn't sound that much like the Beatles in the classic sense. Um, and if you listen to the, you know, anything on, I mean, I think Help is a fine record and, uh, you know, Beatles for Sale is some, somewhat underrated. But like if you listen to those two back to back, you won't hear anything that even comes close to this kind of groove. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of like, as great as they are as a vocal harmony, uh, you know, a collective, the interval that goes all through the verses is really weird for them and it's really exciting i think mm -hmm. um and it's one of paul's best vocal performances which is really saying something yeah um he's right at that part of his register where he has to really like shout but it's not quite screaming but he also has total control yeah um and then the lower harmony on it is kind of it's it's unusual um but i also like the thing of they always say that you know uh, she loves you was kind of a breakthrough for them grammatically, if no other way, because they like, instead of saying, you know, I, I love you or, you know, you love me or whatever it was third person, mm -hmm. you know, um, they're talking to someone else about a relationship. Um, and that is sort of, you know, like clearly that kind of stuff was on their mind. And this is a, this is a, you know, it's probably not a real story, but it definitely has that thing of like, they've now, they're now worldly people after being these sort of, you know, Liverpool rubes, basically. <laughs> they've, been, they've been around the world many times in the best possible way you could ever go around the world many times, which is as the four most famous and beloved figures um, who exist really. And, um, 
and it's just this kind of like and a little it's a little bit like um day tripper and uh and maybe a couple other songs from this exact period where they're kind of slyly talking about sexual relationships in a in a like you know in a in a covert way mm-hmm. um but also the sort of again the the grammar of it is you know like it's a it's a it's a made of a lot of dialogue that clearly is actually telling a story that's different from the one that it sounds like it's telling right um because there is no car um and to drive that car uh the invitation to drive that car has nothing to do with um automotive pursuits <laughs> <laughs> This um, this is my second favorite song that Paul wrote about a car. <laughs> <laughs> Your first being? Uh, backseat of my car. <laughs> there you go. Wings fan. Absolutely. Uh, Wings fan in the house. I love that song. I'm I, with you. It's so good. It's so, I, we put on this weekend. And, sorry, I'm just going to turn this into a Wings podcast now. So just we're I'm, gonna... <laughs> I'm right, right there with you on that. It happens all the time. Go for it. <laughs> I, uh, I put, well, I put ram on this past weekend was my birthday and so i got to pick the the, thank you i got to pick the uh the breakfast music and i was like well obviously ram only on your birthday that makes me sound like such an asshole (laughs) no i was like fine i guess you can i'm the i'm the pancake chef so i am usually making the breakfast and he picks the music it's you it's fine. It's not that sure. bad. He's he's a very good music picker. A hell of a DJ. <laughs> yes, you're a very good DJ. Um, but this, since it was my birthday, he decided to make the pancakes, and I got to pick the music. So I put on Ram, and um, when that song came on, I was like, God, why is this song so good? It's such a journey. You get everything. Like, yep. <laughs> it's like every genre in one song, and it's amazing. And it's, I, it's hard to follow because you sit there and you listen as, as it moves into all these, you know, it moves back and forth and all these different motives. And you're like, how do you put this together? Like, how does the brain comprehend to do some of the things that this guy comes up with? It's really mind boggling. Because no one ever told him he couldn't. Yeah. There are, there are far, there are far more elaborate um, McCartney-like glue nine disparate parts together songs mm-hmm. um even on that record like yep. uncle albert admiral halsey is mm-hmm. one such example but he did it all through i mean really all through the 70s yeah. um and he was you know i mean that's there are arguments against but i love it i just love that and that song like even the outro even the like 15 second little mm-hmm. snippet at the end it's like the best. It's like the best song I've ever heard, and yep. you only hear 15 <laughs> seconds yeah. of it. Yep. I let it slip that um, on the on the days that I wash my hair, I pretty much always listen to Ram because right when I'm finishing <laughs> up, uh, backseat of my car comes on, and I mm-hmm. n- he's all the way downstairs in the house working, and I'm all the way upstairs, and he can't hear me, so I just sing it very loudly <laughs> where no one can hear me. <laughs> Yeah, because it's so good and such a good song to sing along to. It's so much fun. So, uh, drive my car. It's drive your car is your second favorite. Second favorite song Paul wrote about a car. Um, (laughs) I do agree that the bass line is 
it's sick. It's so good. And it actually kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Tighten Up by Archie Bell and the Drells. Like something about it, just that. that like, boom, 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 just that like super deep like, and I love that song. So anytime anything sounds anything like tightened up, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing that like really bothers me about this song is when he tries to like shoehorn the listen babe into that line. It's like. It kind of makes me like twitch a little. Because <laughs> it's like the first. Yeah, time. I gotta say, I, I like that because it break it breaks up the it breaks up the phrasing of that line. So it, like, it, it's true. I could, I will not deny that it does feel kind of like <laughs> ratcheted in there. But yep. but it's um but it's still like I I feel like the song wants that at this point because otherwise it's like da 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 da. It's every 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 iteration of the verse is exactly the same, and then that sort of that breaks it up. Okay, I can get that. It's like it catches your ear. Like it's it kind of wants you to like if you sort of lull into the the rhythm of the song. It's like oh, wake up. (laughs) (laughs) And you know you know the narrator is still like working hard for your love. You know, like they're still he's still. You know, not he's not just like I just have to fill in these syllables to get to the final chorus. Yeah, um, he's still still trying in verse three, which again rare. Yeah. Okay, I can get on board with that. <laughs> just a little like nudge. Wake up. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, I, it's never like it's never been like a go to for me. It's just kind of one of those songs that's like in the catalog that exists and I don't have strong feelings of loving or disliking it. It's just like, yeah, it's a good song. It's fine. It's fun. You beep beep in the middle of it. Like it's good. It's fun. Right. (laughs) It's Paul. It's good. It's fun. One thing I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, Wikipedia tells me uh, that you have taught uh, courses on songwriting before. (laughs) Is this sort of, I mean, I did one um, for, a very small number of people for a very short period of time. It was not like, it was less about um, how to do it and more about like how uh, other ways to think about songwriting than, you know, you might've done before. It was not, it was, um, I was asked to do it and I, it was exactly at a time when I needed the money to (laughs) do. And like, I love talking about this stuff, but I am not uh, an authority on it. Um, And, and, Two other people, um, two other people taught separate units, sort of after mine, mm-hmm. um, that were more specifically about the, you know, the, the theory and then also uh, recording techniques um, that, you know, I imagine were a lot more useful, um, strictly speaking. See, I would disagree because I think you can find any number of of resources for recording techniques. And, you know, and songwriting is is such an instinctual uh, and and personal thing. You know, I've always found to be something that like the idea of of teaching it just seems oddly, you know, foreign in a way that I couldn't comprehend to ever try and do that. So, like, I'm I'm intrigued to know, like, 
you know, what do you think makes makes a great song? And do you think this song comes into that into that ballpark? Um, it's such a good question and hard to answer. And I don't <laughs> I, I mean, there isn't I couldn't say there is a thing that that makes a great song, um, even though there very well may be. Um, I just like I remain perpetually intrigued by um, the the like even even rock and roll songs that are considered complex are essentially pretty simple. Um, and that the component parts really, there are plenty of examples where they do stray from, you know, intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, solo, half verse, chorus <laughs> out or whatever. Um, there are plenty of examples where they don't, where the song doesn't do that. But like, I would imagine that most of the ones that I have ever liked or known just do. And the, um, the, the way, um, in the same way that like, obviously there's lots of, there are lots of films that are more than two hours long or more than five hours long. Um, the lion's share of the ones that I consider sort of my favorite ones tend to be those ones that are somewhere between a hundred minutes and uh, maybe let's say 150 minutes. And I feel like that's because that's what a narrative, a film narrative somehow magically just wants to be. Or it doesn't, There, you know, there is no sense in like putting a stricture on it. They don't have to be um, though. I, but I often think that, I don't know, most most anything that is that involves writing is better when it's shorter <laughs> and i don't i mean i don't i don't always adhere to that myself but like it's it just is true um who was that guy that I, wrote always... those like 30 second pop songs oh my god there's this guy uh, uh tony molina i don't know if you've heard of him but he started doing this thing a few years ago where he writes songs that are basically intro verse chorus a little solo and it's out and his whole thing is like, if I can say everything I need to say, why should I re like why repeat the chorus three times? Why do I need to do all that? Right. He'll put out a 15 song album that's eight minutes, but every element of it is just hook, you know, like some strong idea, and uh, it's it's a fantastic listen. I can't you know that's you might enjoy it if you appreciate that kind of economy and you know the value of that. It's really really cool. I do. I mean, I intellectually like it. I, I also like to listen to it. I mean, that was, you know, the the intoxicating, so to speak, thing about uh, those when Guided by Voices kind of emerged from the mist and with the like 93, 94, those records, there'd be, you know, 29 songs on it. And, and, and a lot of them some of them were 30 seconds long. Some of them were like a minute 12 or something. But there was, and some of them were more sort of conventional lengths, but like the, none of them stayed longer, not one second longer than they needed to mm. express whatever they were expressing. And that was, um, it was really like, was thrilling, I thought. And even when it's done sort of with a sense of, playfulness or experiment like that um, They Might Be Giants song Fingertips Yes, um, part two <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> um, that's you know that's a ton of songs and each one is just sort of like just this little you know snippet of it but like in a way 
you don't need to hear the whole thing. Like you get that in a way, it is the best part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I mean, there's something, there's something miniature about the Beatles in that way. Like in Hamburg, they were playing six-hour sets or whatever. Um, but but really, from the time anyone ever heard of them, they never played a set that was longer than like 28 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they never played longer than half an hour. And it's just because that was all they needed to do. Uh, they, you know, like, they, there I'm sure was a reason. I bet they would have liked to play more than that. But like, sure. they, no they, <laughs> no one could hear why, them. Why, yeah, why, why struggle for longer than you have to at that point? Well, yeah. And also like, I mean, obviously the, the promoters and the manager had a lot to say about that sort of thing as well. And also they probably could do several shows a night for, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> at, that, at that rate. But, um, but, you know, these songs are like, Drive My Car, is, it's short. It's not, is it even three minutes long? I don't think it is. I think it is, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's concise. And there's, a, I don't know, there's an element of impersonation and of like, there's an element of playfulness, but it's not silly. It's it's like it's cool playfulness mm-hmm. um, to me, and it, it it's um and and yet they don't like it's not like they commit to it and do the like long breakdown and then you know any sort of there's no jamming, um, which I am grateful for. Yeah, <laughs> having <laughs> having heard bootlegs of them jamming, but like just generally yeah. speaking. I like the I like the conciseness, the concision. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that they really excelled at, you know, throughout the entire career. Uh, I can't think of many songs that ever outstay their welcome. The yeah. opening track of McCartney Three. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah! Like, I, I, no, I love it. It's so great. It but I was you like, could, at you one could point, cut the last minute off of it. Exactly, yeah. and I was like, wait, wait, okay. This is not necessary. Like, it's beautiful. It's like it's a Pro lovely. Tools goof that they didn't catch. <laughs> Just copied and pasted accidentally. Yeah, like literally one whole minute at the end, snip it, and it's perfect. Moving yeah. on. Yeah. That record is, uh, it's it's like so, it's so close to exactly what I wanted and needed. Mm-hmm. And therefore, infinity away from what I truly, because it doesn't, it doesn't quite get there. And it, my my heart definitely felt a pang of sorrow that I couldn't love McCartney three. What are you, what are you missing from it? I'm curious. Cause I feel like the reactions to this record are super fascinating. Um, I mean, in a way, I don't, I mean, obviously it's good in a way as Elvis Costello famously said, <laughs> compared to who is Paul McCartney, not good. <laughs> right. but, um, <laughs> But um, but yeah, there's just some. There is a sense of like, I don't know. I mean, the McCartney two is an interesting counterpart to this record because it's fucked up. It's got tons of really really weird songs, mm-hmm. some of which go on into like the ten minute range. Yeah. Um, and I'm like all over it and have been from the moment I first heard it because of the like, because when when a guy who is so known for that kind of concise craft and, and also like being, I mean, he has a, he has a a lot of kind of reputations that I don't 
subscribe to because I'm a diehard for him. But like, uh, you know, like that is him flexing a certain kind of I don't care if anyone ever even hears it yeah. kind of muscle and really meaning it, I think. Um, whereas this one is like, I don't know, it's like, it's good. It's fine. It's not, it doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel like he broke character exactly. And it doesn't feel like he, it also doesn't feel like he was necessarily that true to character. Like, it's just a, it's an interesting an interesting diversion and it's it's perfectly good and it's i would argue i guess better than egypt station or the other few records he's made um in the last couple few years decades like i, I can't remember when the last record of his i really loved came out um though i could probably dredge up that information but it's been like <laughs> but i lit i yeah. I, get, I get them all like i i am in the tank for paul mccartney Same. and um and so i'm i'm like i'm every time there's a record i am ready for it to be a masterpiece mm-hmm. um but then the first mccartney record also is like this sort of if the second one is like this crazy quilt of experiments the first one is like uh, you know like I guess it, I mean, it's not done or anything. It's fine. Just put it out. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, and there's a couple of like truly for the ages, great songs on it. And then a bunch of like dicking around. And I, again, am totally fine with that. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that I really enjoy about, about McCartney three, and I think also about some of the, some of the more dicking around tracks on, on McCartney one is it, this one feels to me like he's not worried about the idea of a hit or success. Like Egypt station feels very intentional. Like I want to have pop chart hits Uh, and I, you know, working with, you know, pop producers um, new was more like, I want to like remind everyone that like I was a Beatle and I can still be successful with that. Um, This one just seems like, he's kind of just playing around and just doing whatever. And I kind of enjoy just like that, you know, pants down creativity of like, this is just what I'm doing in my free time and I'm going to put it out. Yeah. Like this, the, the, the success of the, of the album, I think um, commercially lives and dies by whatever capital wants to do. And they made 40 different colors of it and people bought them all. So it was very successful. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, as far as just like a snapshot of like, Here's Paul during, you know, quarantine. It's pretty damn fantastic, you know, and there's some yes. stuff that I think is really, really great on there that I think will in time be looked at as like real kind of high watermarks for him. A couple songs, I think. There are some there are some jams for yeah. sure uh, in the best way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this what you're saying is like it really rings true because there is that element now. And I guess maybe it's been there for longer than it needed to be, but. Um, there is that sense now that like, I'm not saying this is the last one, but if it's the last right. one, I hope, you know, like uh, it better, you know, it better be number one. That's mm-hmm. kind of the vibe I, I tend to get from him. And um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't ever see him play live until 2002, three, whatever, whenever the, like he had the new band. The dry, yeah, yeah. That's after, so I guess O two because it was after like the nine eleven. Maybe it was driving concert. rain. Yeah, it was driving rain. Yes. Tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he had had the um, little 
surgery, <laughs> face left or whatever. That. But I, I, I was like, I may never get another chance. And of mm-hmm. course, now that's 20 years ago. I was like, I may never get another chance. I've seen him a few times since. Same. Um, I spent more money than was feasible for me at that moment to sit in like the 12th row or yes. something. Wow. Um, and I was, you know, he plays, he plays a 38 or 39 song set and 34, 33 of those songs have a pretty legitimate claim to being the greatest song ever written <laughs> by a human being. And it's like, they go straight to your like innermost soul mm-hmm. of your, like for me, like I could have been, I could have been five years old. Yep. I could have been 45 years old, you know, I, um, and I was, um, I was like truly stunned by the power of those shows. Yeah. Um, and by his like, God damn it. He's so like vital. And, and, and the best thing is that when he wants to like, he, even then he was not young, but like, he's, he's not, he's old now. Like he's officially gotten there, Yeah. but he can still, well, I guess now he has some trouble with the very high notes, but like, he still plays the songs in the original key yeah. and, and he still plays incredibly energetically. And when he is winded and wants a break, what does he do? He steps to the front of the stage and gets like his <laughs> 19th yes. standing ovation. <laughs> the night, and then, which like is the, great. It's yeah. hilarious. And then at the start of hour three, he does Helter Skelter, which like unbelievable. most singers would give their left foot to do that. Any part of a show like, and he's just yeah. like, Oh, here's a little thing I did. A long time ago. You might know this one. <laughs> and just like nails it. It's incredible. Like it's we I have I have performed that song. I've sung that song in my life and it really did same. like it it's, it could have killed me. <laughs> It's it's a tough song to sing, um, yeah. and it's one of the ones when you do it well, you feel like the king of the mountain. You're like, I just yeah. ruled that shit. <laughs> that is a great yeah. song. But when you don't do it, you're like, oh god, why did I right. ever agree to do this? <laughs> My band hates me now. I quit music. <laughs> I've embarrassed everybody. I quit forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so let's, let's. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, in the sense that I think all Beatles songs are the best Beatles song, with the exception of the Long and Winding Road. I <laughs> really love. Yeah, Sean, you've, you ma- you've made yeah. my day. I don't know. Did you look at the at the list I sent you of our, of our yeah. previous ones? I got I so much flack for having that song so low. Um, so whenever somebody's like, "Yeah, that song goes in the trash," I'm like, oh, "Thank God, yes." <laughs> yeah, Kindred Spirit. I just, I mean, some of it is the some of it is the um, Phil Spectorization, but also 
the I mean the the version the let it be naked version I didn't like and also the um the uh like give my regards to Broad Street re-record where he said he was do that's the way he intended it yeah. I just don't like it I just don't yeah. like it yeah um but aside from that like I just I feel like I don't I don't exactly disagree with either of you in like in the sense that like I can't necessarily prove that drive my car is major but at the same time I can't believe anybody doesn't think it is <laughs> and that's how I feel really about a lot of Beatles things and it's sort of that's the fuel of like being a McCartney like diehard for all my life in a world where I mean I don't know if you remember what it was like up until like I don't know 1999 or whatever mm -hmm. but it was just not socially acceptable to say you like Paul McCartney well it's funny you know and I have a, a million questions I want to ask you, and I know I won't get to all, to all of them today. Um, you know, so I was born in 81, so we're about eight years apart. Um, I remember being, as a, as a teen in the 90s, the Beatles being, like, the uncoolest thing. And, like, mm -hmm. no, none of my friends or classmates talked about it, but no other bands talked about it. And then the anthology came out, 95, or is that 94? I forget. Mm -hmm. 95. Um, and then I feel like the only band that really like waved the flag for the Beatles was like Oasis. But the right. thing that I'm learning as I get older is how many bands really love the Beatles, but just never talked about it. Like right. when she mentioned that, like I missed the whole grunge thing. I didn't listen to Nevermind until I was in like my mid twenties. Um, and I finally was like, I really need to like sit down and like, listen to this, you know, top five of all time record. And it was like, <laughs> holy shit, this is just the Beatles with a rat pedal. Like, this is just a distortion Beatles song. Like, this is great. Um, you know, and, you know, and talking totally. to you now and realizing, like, how, you know, Beatles influenced your work, well, you know, was. And, like, a lot of bands from that time, I think, really grew up with that same influence. It just maybe didn't get talked about it the way now people are like, oh, well, I'm, you know, everybody gets their cool points because, you know, this is our revolver or whatever. Um, right. You know, and so it's it's funny to realize, like, how many... Um, how many, I guess, you know, friends I probably had that just didn't ever talk about it, you know? It's, I think it does kind of wax and wane with the times because there was, you know, I mean, there, I grew up in Southern California for my first 15 years and I never heard anybody, and I listened, I'd never heard anybody say anything about the Beach Boys that didn't have to do with like, Help Me Rhonda or, mm -hmm. you know, any of those songs. And, you know, I just grew up thinking of the um, of Beach Boys as like the music of the oppressor, which is to say bullies <laughs> and jocks and Republicans. The you Mike know? Loves of the world. Uh. The Mike Loves. And so, but, you know, when then everybody started talking about Pet Sounds as if it was the key to their, you know, their entire soul and everything, I was just, I was like... I'm not denying that it's special. It just doesn't, it just doesn't reach me in that same way. Mm -hmm. But, but, but if it did, like, I mean, there are, I don't know. It's, it, it just was interesting to me that suddenly everyone talked about it, you know, yeah. and I guess people still do. Um, but, but there was a while there where it was like, every, I don't know. Band there are, I, I think there are bellwethers. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think there are um, cultural bellwethers. And in the, you know, the 90s era, it was 
like basically if, if the, anyone from Sonic Youth said they liked anything, it became like significant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they would not have talked about the Beatles, though they did cover um, Within You, Without You really well. Oh, that's Aww. cool. They did an amazing cover of it. Nice. I'll have to check that out because I uh, we haven't gotten to that yet. That's still a good ways away. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good to know. Okay. okay. Is is our niece into Sonic Youth? I know she's like starting to. I think she's dipping her toe in there. I don't know if okay. she's gotten there yet. Okay. We have a 15-year-old niece who I'm giving guitar lessons to over Zoom, and she's like, she wanted me to teach her like the Pixies and My Bloody Valentine and Nirvana, and I'm just like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> so I'm teaching her Beatles songs And I start. was like, you know what? You should think that I'm cool, because when I was your age, this is what I was listening to. <laughs> <laughs> But now you just think I'm old. <laughs> yeah. But don't they, I mean, isn't it true of like having younger nieces or nephews or whatever? I'm about to, my younger brother is about to have a kid and I'm sort of, I want to be a good uncle in some way. And, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't it, isn't it the case that they kind of have to come to you and be like, hey, wait, I heard you were cool. You can't be like, look how cool I am. Yeah. Look at all my guitar. Look how cool I was. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you know, I've always... I've always hoped that one of them would be like, teach me, you know, like teach me guitar, teach me drums or whatever. And I've tried to kind of force it sometimes and it never works. Like we have two nephews and for Christmas one year, I got one an acoustic guitar. I got the other one a snare drum. I don't even know where they just moved to Seattle. Funny enough. And I don't even know if those made, made the move. I think they're still in storage. (laughs) So the fact that one of them's into it, I'm, I'm totally down for. Yeah. And she's doing really well. too. She is doing well. Well, let's, um, so I think we're at an interesting place of 183 on my end. Don't know where you would put it though. You would go higher though, I think. If you're ballparking. I would go higher. What's the what's the total number? I've got 223. And that's And you're but you're counting like what's the new Mary Jane and you know my name look up the number and stuff. Yeah, I'm counting anything anthology related that was it. like that was intended for release and shelved. So like uh, okay. you've got like if you've got trouble uh, you know, th- th- that those couple, uh, what's the new Mary Jane? Um, and then your B side. So you've got, um, you know, my name, look up the number, things like that. Yeah. I would for sure put it in the top hundred. Okay. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I say that I looked at your list and I, you know, made sort of mental notes and then promptly forgot <laughs> what I, you know, what I thought, but like, I'd have to say top hundred, but you know, having talked about it a little bit, because at first I definitely was like, how dare you? But then <laughs> I, but then, you know, on consideration, I, um, I can see how it's sort of, you know, maybe it's not quite as important um, as I thought. And, and I will definitely withhold it, cause there, there are other songs on Rubber Soul that, um, that I think are sort of more significant, but I, I do think that it's sort of like, it's a key moment. Uh, I agree them. with you on that. I agree with you on that. Where do you uh, where do you sit with it, Julia? Um, gosh, it's so hard because I don't know what's ahead of us. I feel like I feel like I'd maybe move it up a little bit, but not too far. I think I think it's probably around probably around a good spot. Okay, I might move it up a little, maybe a little bit, maybe a little. She has access to the list and she never looks at it. I know I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> Sun comes up, up and away. Got a big day, sorry, can't stay. I gotta run 
time when we could dance until a quarter to ten. We never thought it would end then. We never thought it would end. We used to carry on drinking to rock and roll. We never thought we'd get older. We never thought we'd grow cold. But now, gotta get up, gotta get out, gotta get home before the morning. Well, let's um. I feel good about that. Let's uh, let's do some rapid fire questions. Um, I know we're going to, I'm really excited. We're going to have you back in a few weeks to do another song. So I've got some questions I want to hold off until next time. Um, okay. And also I want to let you go have dinner at some point. Too. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should probably do that. Right. So let's do some rapid fire questions. Uh, okay. Julia, would you like to kick off the rapid fires this week? Sure. Do it. What is your favorite song at the moment? We're talking, and we're talking oh, Beatles songs. Oh. Beatles songs. Well, now because you just said it, it's backseat to my car. Um, <laughs> I've been just to just to give you a sense of what I mean when I say that I'm a McCartney diehard. My most recent indefensible um, purchase on the internet in quarantine was this, which, as you can see, is a yes, it, it's backwards. It's Part a one and two. CD compilation of. Um, unreleased McCartney demos and fragments and things. I mean, this is an insane amount of stuff. Anyway, um, so I've been kind of in that, uh, in that hole for, for a while. Um, Yeah, that's, um, I'm going to, I, I feel okay with, um, with leaving it at, uh, at backseat of my car. Although, (laughs) you know what, now that I say that out loud, dear boy, dear boy is my favorite song. I like it. Okay. Okay. All right. I haven't okay. heard that one yet. Yeah. I will say we, I thought that we should adjust the question to at the moment because so many people are like, I can't pick, but I feel like everyone's <laughs> like, they're like, well, today yeah. it's one thing and tomorrow it's something else. So I like That's the exactly at the moment. Right. It, it leaves you like, you don't have to commit to it forever. You just have to commit to it for like just the second. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally one second. <laughs> much easier that way. For yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> and like tomorrow someone could say, what's your favorite Beatles song at the moment? And it might be completely different, and that's okay. Yeah. No one will yell at you. <laughs> uh, what is your least favorite Beatles song? It's The Long and Winding Road, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Strong. Wow. A strong de- declaration. Yes. I like it. Yep. You do when like I was it. In the, the, the band I was in after Harvey Danger, The Long Winters, that was definitely a a van full van argument for four <laughs> hours kind of topic yeah um, four hours there yeah. were there like powerpoints <laughs> well yeah I, no because the argument was ultimately like you're an idiot no you're an idiot right. <laughs> we uh the drummer well my band had a drummer who was our second drummer um and we eventually kicked him out for a multitude of reasons but the first time we went out on tour we left new orleans it was like 4 a.m and I'm driving first shift. Everyone's getting in the van, falling asleep, plug in my phone, and I put on the White Album. And I hear this voice go, look, man, can we just put a moratorium on the Beatles before we get into this? And I was like, I don't know how this is going to work out with this guy. <laughs> and it, it didn't last it long. Didn't. No. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. Uh, what Answer is... retroactively is no. Yes. <laughs> For a multitude of reasons <laughs> that we will not go Absolutely. into today. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite memory associated with the Beatles song? Uh, hmm. Well, 
I mean, I have the I have the like sweet version, which is that when I was a very little kid, like three or four, or maybe even now, it must have been three or four. My aunt, who was also my godmother, was babysitting me, and we did uh, we did a, a concert for each other, meaning we were like <laughs> lip syncing to Beatles songs with using big candlesticks as microphones. Oh, yes. um, I love it. And I remember Hey Jude. Like that, I don't. It probably wasn't the first time I ever heard it, but it was definitely the the first time I ever really heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like she was singing it to me, and I was singing it to her, and it was very, very, very sweet um, and meaningful. That's pretty great. Um, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I can I can settle on that. I mean, I have. There was a. There's a. There probably still is a group in Seattle called the Seattle Rock Orchestra, and they did concerts, kind of. I guess twice a year mm-hmm. uh, and they worked their way through the Beatles uh, LP catalog. And I was one of the featured singers at a few of those shows Fun. and I sang That's cool. a handful of ones. Helter Skelter was by far the most um, difficult, um, <laughs> but, uh, but it was actually doing Penny Lane that I was like, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff. I've been very lucky with music, but this is how I like, I actually feel like I have achieved a sort of perfect moment singing this song with an actual you know large incredibly talented orchestra mm-hmm. um that felt really that felt really special also fantastic that's, amazing. that's awesome oh i love that that's like yeah. such a special moment because you're like in it you're doing it and you're like well i'm good <laughs> well it, it's funny because yeah. you know, we've been doing you know we've been doing these port shows and i've got this this beatles cover band that i play with with three other guys and during quarantine we've hooked up with a string quartet and so we'll do Beatles with strings and it's so much fun. And the first time we did it, uh, we did something and it was the first time that the, the band had actually played it and we got to the bridge section and I'm singing, you know, the, 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 the Paul part. So I really got this high part, but I'm hearing the strings behind me and I'm going, Oh my God, that's, that's what happens here. And then we got to the solo section and the strings were there and just the whole feeling of like, I've never experienced like strings behind me while I play. This is such a different thing. Oh my God. I, I love this. Mm-hmm. I want strings yeah. on everything now. <laughs> so. And I was, was in my... the, I was in the audience and that was July. Yeah. And I hadn't seen live music since February. That was the first thing we did. And I was just yeah. like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm like in the middle of the street because that's what you do for the port shows. You like bring your little camp chair and you carve out a little six foot space and you bring your little cooler and you just like sit in the street and drink a beer and listen to music. And uh, yeah, I'm just like sitting there with my little beer, just like, oh my gosh, it's so Beautiful. good. <laughs> it could have really been good. terrible, but it sounded perfect to me. Right. You know, I, it wasn't. I'm just kidding. Thank but. you for the confidence. <laughs> I had a, there was another, I thought of one more that's a little more sort of. Uh, okay. Uh, braggy, I Ooh, guess. Yeah. But it was. I I um. Drop a name. In it was Halloween 2009, and um, Robin Hitchcock had a every year he did a um, a benefit for um, Doctors Without Borders um, in London, and they did it at a small pub, and they he would recruit like a band of his you know cool friends to do. They would do an entire album, and the year before they had done Hunky Dory, um, mm. which I was incredibly sad I missed, and I sort of swore I wouldn't miss another one, so I went there for um for this one and the band was uh we did abbey road and the band was um robin and um 
like the keyboard player from Madness and Graham Coxon from Blur and wow. um, like a, the drummer from Lloyd Cole and the Commotions and like a handful of other people. And it was, I mean, I don't know if it was actually good, but it was, <laughs> like, it was so great. Yeah. Um, and I sang the, I sang basically the Paul bits um, and, and it was just like, but, but it was during, um, it was during uh, both, no, it was during something actually um, that I was singing some harmonies, but it came to the guitar solo and Graham from Blur and I'm a, like, I, I am a massive Blur fan and just looking over and he's playing the solo exactly, exactly right, but also with a little extra sauce of his own and and I was like, God damn, this is the best. And I was like, oh, I, I'm, I'm in the band. You know, like, <laughs> that's how it felt to me. And it was, um, it was a thrill, you know, yeah. it was just a, and, and there again, like it, you can, people can sort of play any music, you know, they can play their own songs. They can play songs by other bands and it can be really good or really bad or whatever, but the Beatles are sort of, they have a particular kind of place in not just people's tastes but like in their formation you know yeah. mm -hmm. like it's it's so it's so centrally important to so many people that um you know religion used to occupy that space yeah in the, in the, in the west anyway um and it kind of does but not in the same way because it doesn't i don't think it means the same thing to people. i don't know if people necessarily love their religious commitment though maybe they do maybe some do um but like the Beatles is all like they're all you need is love as the wise man <laughs> once said like, you know like it's really that it was it was an, an important moment that's fantastic no it's 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 always such a, a blast to play that music and when you get to play it with like great players and really make it like a special uh experience on stage as a performer, like to be in the thick of that is such a great, uh, a great place to find yourself. And I've been fortunate to, to find myself doing that a few times. And it sounds like you have too. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Are there songs that you guys have like wanted to do, but couldn't like, couldn't nail? Um, so ironically, so the, the band is called the walrus. Um, we've only played, and I, they were around before I joined. I'm, I'm like the Johnny come lately the last three mm -hmm. years, I guess. Uh, we've done I Am the Walrus one time at a show with the with the string quartet. But the tricky thing is, like, we can never get all eight people together for a rehearsal. So we did it kind of uh -huh. on the fly. I thought it went OK. I thought it was great. We also did um, A Day in the Life, which I really, really wanted to do. I felt great about it. Um the strings were like, all we do is just a crescendo at the end of this, like in the middle and the end. Uh, but yeah. we all kind of felt like if we're going to do it, we've got to really do it. You know, we've got to do it justice. Um, otherwise, I mean, there's always songs that we're like debating, adding. Um, there's things, you know, being a four piece makes it tr tricky because like our drummer is super multi-talented and can like play piano and drums at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. So it opens wow. up a lot of, uh, a lot of avenues, but it also like 
some things get sacrificed. Like when we do in my life, it's kind of turned into a bit where like he's playing drums throughout the song, but then when it gets to the keyboard solo, uh, I have to like drop what I'm doing and grab a, a mallet and a snare and a, and a drumstick. And all of a sudden, like at the front of the drums, play the drum pattern and it's goofy and it's funny and it's lighthearted. But I'm also like, if we had another drummer, we, we could just make it, you know, do it right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but I mean, you know, God, we have fun. And, you know, the other three guys, they're all, you know, full-time musicians and somehow Beatles covers have turned into like the lifeblood uh, for them over the last year. We, we went right. from playing every four to five months to like four to five times a month, uh, which, oh, is, that's, yeah, which that's, has been, it's I great. I mean, we have a lot of fun with it. And, um, well, I was you know. noticing I was, uh, at your last show, um, I was sort of looking around because when I'm at the show, I like make sure the live stream is running because they like live stream it mm-hmm. over Facebook and everything. So I kind of like monitor that so they don't have to do it and um, just sort of hang around. And I always like look around at the crowd and I'm like, it's every time it's such a diverse crowd. Like the it's old people, young people, like the cool hipsters and like super nerdy people. And I mean, just like every facet of everything, you know, everyone shows yeah. up and they all like it. Like it's the Beatles are somehow just the great uniter. Yeah. I mean, there's a very small percentage of the population that we found that does not like the Beatles, but like most yeah. people can land somewhere in the catalog, whether it be the early stuff or the later stuff, you know, you can just find something that, you can at least enjoy for a little while and yeah. have a good time. For sure. Totally. I, I mean, I, Jack White, I read an interview with him one time, and I don't, I mean, I'm certainly not an, a great aficionado of his work. I, don't, I mean, I like the White Stripes or whatever, but he always seemed like a pretty interesting person uh, to me. He had a quote in one of his interviews that was like, you know, people tell, when, when people tell me they don't like the Beatles, I just don't trust them. I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe them, but I don't trust them because I don't like, there's no chance that they could be into music. They should, they could be getting the same thing from music that I am getting or yeah. that I'm looking for. Um, and yeah. I kind of feel that I have met a few people who along the way are like, mm. um, and if it's, I guess my policy with it is like, if it's because you like can't, you can't sign off on, you know, song-based music or like, you know, or if it's that it's just too, um, too structured or so. Like if you if your tastes run more to like noise or, you know, some other experimental thing, which I don't have any, um, like I don't have a lot to contribute to that conversation. I know it's like a valid form, but sure. I just don't. It's not what I'm super into. Um, then okay but if it's like man i like the beatles i like the stones like the idea that those the the idea that those two things are somehow not complementary is crazy to me and i've definitely had that i've found myself in that argument a number of times though i've never um pursued it too strongly (laughs) it's a fool's errand for sure (laughs) i love the i love the rolling stones um but you know you yeah, get something like, different from the Rolling Stones. Like, it's just, it's a yeah. different fulfillment. Yeah, I totally get that. Like, there's something that, you know, I'll, I'm 39 this year. I'll be 40 in November. And there's something that has kept me listening to this same band more than any other band for 
close to 30 years. Uh, so yeah. that's a pretty specific uh, thing that I get from that, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but. and even if, like, you're not their biggest fan, which I'm not. Like, I'm the moderate here. That's sort of, like, my side of the podcast. Like, I don't know them like he knows them. There have been quite a few songs that I had never listened to before. Um, so, but even I can find joy in them. You know, like, if you're just like, no, scrap the whole catalog, man. <laughs> Nothing for me there. Fuck you. <laughs> Get yeah. wrecked. Like, you can't find one single song that brings you the slightest hint of joy. No, you're just being a dick to be a dick. Yep. Like, yeah. get out of my face. You're not my people. Bye. <laughs> meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile, I have no difficulty, like, weeping when I hear their music. Mm-hmm. That I've heard more than I've heard anything. Yeah. More times than I've heard my own, like, mother say my name out loud. You know? Like, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's it's just yeah it's eternal to me uh, at least I hope it is. Have you have you weeped every time you've seen Paul? I sure have. Oh yeah, every God, time. every time. <laughs> so I mean like, and without any sense of like, I wasn't trying to cover it up. Like no I was, shame, no. I ugly cried. Really, really crying. Yeah. Yep. There's been three times I've legit ugly cried at a concert. The, the first time I saw McCartney, the rest have been like gentle tears. Um, <laughs> Seeing Brian Wilson do Smile the first mm-hmm. time, uh, Ugly Cried, and then uh, Michael Nesmith at the Troubadour uh, a couple years ago. So <gasps> you cried. saw that? Dude, oh my God. One of the best experiences I've ever had. Like When they announced those like six dates, it was like, I don't care what yeah. we're doing. We're canceling whatever we have to do. Yeah. We're going. And uh, oh my God, it was a highlight musically. It was incredible. We haven't even gotten into talking about the monkeys yet, but I <laughs> can we? Can I we? will go. All, yes. I'll go all night on that subject. Um, I saw him at Largo, um, at which I think was a little bit before those shows because it was not the first national band. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a little pickup band, and I just was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it's happening. Yeah, I cried. I cried when I saw the monkeys in 1986, and I. You know, there's no, there was, I've seen video of that show since. Mm-hmm. Nothing to cry about. I'll give you something <laughs> to cry about. But, um, but yeah, my girlfriend and I went to um, Lake Tahoe to see the Mickey and Mike show. Um, oh, nice. And even though it was cut short because Nesmith wasn't feeling well, like I was, you know, we, I think we both were pretty well in tears. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely like, I just, I just went, I just went right away. When uh when Just he when he first him. rejoined them after Davey passed, uh we got tickets to see them at uh, the Greek in L.A., and so yeah. we flew out there and far and away like some of the younger people there mm-hmm. and um it had you know pretty good seats and the show was fantastic uh and they came back from from a break from the did like a little set break uh then he come back out and I think they opened with um. As, uh, with porpoise song or as we go along but then yeah. all of a sudden they cut into circle sky and her and i like our team had just scored a touchdown like <laughs> jumped up just like yes oh god and everyone around us looked at us <laughs> like we were batshit crazy like what great. is this song and we're like it's amazing you don't even know <laughs> but yeah god that first national band show th- that was Oof. that was something special i'm I'm very envious i, I was so glad they put it out they put out a recording of that show because e- even as a live record it's fantastic and you can genuinely feel uh the feeling of that room on that album it's fantastic 
and what i mean it's the perfect room it's the only room Mm -hmm. you know yeah well we we saw that show here in nashville right after we arrived and it was good Mm -hmm. but he was definitely like high (laughs) you know like he was definitely (laughs) he was going up on his lyrics and stuff and yeah you know yeah. But it was great. I don't care. I'll do anything. To Anytime. Spend a few minutes in his company. They were yeah. supposed to be in Biloxi la- April of last year, I think. And then it got pushed to September. And then obviously that's not happening. So now it's just yeah. kind of on hold for whenever we'll get to it. that happens. But, we'll get to it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know that we can also connect on, on Monkey's conversation. Because I do feel that there is room in ranking the Beatles for a Monkey's side episode. I just haven't figured out what that concept is yet so oh my gosh yeah yeah i'll keep you posted on that well i want to let you go i I appreciate you giving us so much of your time this evening this has been a wonderful conversation super Um, fun do you have anything that you would care to promote to our audience anything that's going on that you want to let them know about i I Uh, mentioned in the intro (laughs) i mentioned the intro uh nelson sings uh sings nelson is absolutely yeah. phenomenal, fantastic album, and I want to ask you Thank all you. about it on the next the next time we talk. Listeners, do yourselves a favor and pull it up and listen to it. Yes, like really treat yourself. You earned it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we will uh, go ahead and let you go for the evening, and I look forward to talking to you again in a few weeks, my friend. Thank you so much. Sean. All right, this has been I look a blast. forward to it. All right, Thanks, man. Guys. Thanks, Thanks so much. Have a great night. Talk to you talk soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Sean Nelson, everybody. Oh wah wee wah. <laughs> What a conversation. Another huge monkeys fan. Like, you're uh, finding your people through I this am show. finding my people. Like, your little Beatles and monkeys fans. Like, yeah. Oh, man. That was phenomenal. Um, yeah, he, uh, he will be coming back on our show in a few weeks to do another episode. Uh, so I'm very excited about that because I have a laundry list of questions that we didn't get to. Um, his, uh, his musical catalog is really good, y'all. If you have only ever heard of him through Flagpole Sitta, uh, I highly recommend checking out the remainder of the Harvey Danger catalog and his solo catalog. Um, so do yourselves a favor and get on that. But, uh, yeah. So how do you all feel about Drive My Car at 183? Too high? Too low? Baby Bear's Porridge just right? <laughs> I'm just calling that the Baby Bear's Porridge spot now. (laughs) Is it too hot, too cold? Baby Bear's Porridge? What do you think? Uh, Let us know on the Facebooks, uh, on the Twitters, on the Instagrams, and um, let's uh, let's chat about it. Uh, What do you think about some of the things we've touched on of a a laundry list of topics? So uh, let us know. Do you like the monkeys? If you don't. We've got a problem. Do uh, you like the Beatles? If, if you, you don't, don't, fuck off. <laughs> so Julia is particularly salty this evening, which means it is time for me to what? go make some dinner. I held for it my in for a really wife. long time. You did, I was and you very it. well behaved. You did. You killed it. I'm proud of you. But um, so yeah, that's all we got for this week, gang. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, please think about leaving us a five star rating. We would tremendously appreciate it. Tell a friend. Tell them to come on over and give us a listen. Uh, we would love to uh, to chat. So, on that note, we will bid you adieu until next week. I am Jonathan. And I'm Julia. And this has been Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all. <laughs>